Professor, what's up, brother? Living the dream, my friend. How about you? Can't complain. So I was out this weekend. Um, went out with the guys from the from the unit. You should have yeah. been here, man. It was pretty cool. Got it's some, a long drive. I would have done it, but you know, Uber. Got some uh, great stories that we will bring up in the near future. <laughs> um, but today, I want to get right into it. So I kind of teased this on, on Twitter and Facebook. Uh this weekend is the big uh, Tyson-Roy Jones fight. Yeah. And I've been waiting to tell this story this week to kind of tie it in, um, you know, for, for boxing week, let's call it. So I'll get right into the story. Won't even hesitate. I think it was 2008, 2009. I don't remember. But in Philly at the time, we had um, – it was a weekend, or it was a few weekends in a row, like December into January, where we got something like 18 to 24 inches of snow every weekend. And it was crazy because we were out working in it. I told the story about our old, my old partner, Johan, chasing a guy on a rooftop, like a third-story rooftop, tackling him in, you know, two feet of snow. Like that. That was, you know, some of our crazy stuff, crazy days. Well, there was a job we had to do. Um, it was it was given us it was given to our lieutenant during the week, specifically for us to do on the weekend. And that job was to go out, wait for this guy to show up, lock him up. Now I was a sergeant at the time, so. I didn't go over the file. Whoever was the recorder, and that person was in charge of the case. That's what our, you know, the recorder for the unit at, or the team that weekend was just basically the man in charge of doing interviews and keeping track of all the paperwork. So the guy, his, la his name, it was an, he had an alias. And in Philadelphia, if you get arrested uh, for your very first time ever, and you use, you know, Michael Jack Schmidt. Every single time after that, your name is Michael Jack Schmidt. So we went over the case. Didn't seem like anything special out of the ordinary. Few arrests, you know, some bullshit. Nothing crazy. So we're heading out to the job. Look at the picture. Again, doesn't look like anything, you know, doesn't look anybody we know or anything like that. So we're heading out, and I get a call from a daytime supervisor from during the week. Guy, I'm Cleary. He's like, listen, man, be careful. The guy, he can brawl. He can fight. And I'm thinking, like, okay, well, we, we always, you know, are careful. We never, you know, take anyone for granted. So we get out there. On top of it. Come on. <laughs> so we get out there. Now we're sitting on the house. Now, I'm not going to say what the crime was. It wasn't nothing crazy. It's, a, it's something anybody can be arrested for when you're down on your luck. So we're waiting. Uh, my partner's getting a phone call from the person that's basically ratting him out. 
And here he comes. He's in a black, uh, I believe, Lincoln Navigator. So he pulls up. We jump out. We grab him. No issues. Uh, he asks if I can move his car for him. So I go and park it. Now, as I park it, it's, there's trash everywhere. It's like he's living out of the vehicle. And I just happen to see his checkbook sitting there. And it says, none other than the champ himself, Meldrick Taylor. Wow. I'm like, wait a minute. This can't be. So I go back. He's in the car already. I said, here's your keys. And I just said, champ? And he goes, yeah, man, how you doing? And I was floored. So for anybody that has no idea who this is, you're not a boxing fan, first of all, if you don't. And Jesus. The, um, the most controversial fight ever in the history of boxing, and I think you would agree, and I think it's been voted this many times over. March 17th, 1990. Meldrick Taylor, at the time, Olympic gold medalist, mm. IBF, um, it was light welterweight, at the time, 140 pounds, 24-0-1. He's going against Julio Cesar Chavez. Now, at the time, he was, Chavez was the guy doing the, uh, he was, well, he was undefeated at the time. And he was 68-0 at the time. This guy wanted, everyone wanted to beat him. Mm-hmm. He was the WBC champion at the time. Huge fight. Taylor was winning the fight the whole way through the last round. You got to watch. If you ever watch anything, watch this. The last 30 seconds of the fight, Chavez finally gets over on Meldrick Taylor. Knocks him down with, I think it was like 12 seconds left in the fight. Taylor goes down. He gets up. The referee, one of the most controversial referees ever, in my opinion, Richard Steele, gives him a count, gets up to six, gives him standing eight. He's asking Taylor, are you okay? Now, mind you, the whole crowd's going crazy. Taylor's looking at his corner for instructions. There are two seconds left in the round. Now, Richard Steele sees every time you get every time they're the um, in boxing when it's under 10 seconds, there's a red red light in each corner. So that way the referee can know, all right, there's 10 seconds. In this fight, he could have been saved by the by the bell. Didn't, you know, as soon as that bell went, done. Match is over, doesn't matter. Even if you're laying on your back, it's over. Richard Steele stops the fight with two seconds left. 258 of the 12th round, Julio Cesar Chavez wins. He was, um, he went on after that. It it was mayhem. If you watch it, you'll see people going crazy. It was talked about nonstop for years. It's, again, like I said, it's been rated as probably the most controversial fight in the history of, of boxing. 
And their lives, obviously, at that moment took two different, you know, turns. He loses the belt. At the time, beating him would have been like, for UFC fighters, somebody beating a Khabib guy, I'm not big in UFC, or somebody beating Muhammad Ali, or somebody beating Mike Tyson, all in their primes. Chavez was that guy. No one could beat him. Taylor beat him. After the match, he was up ahead. He won uh, two, you know, he won two scorecards out of the three. He would have won by split decision. Would have been a unified champion and on his way to making mega, mega millions of dollars. The rematch there alone would probably have been one of the highest gro- you know, grossing uh, fights in history at the time. It was that big of a deal. Now, obviously, um, Life went two different directions for both these, you know, athletes. Chavez went on, I, I forget how many more fights before he finally lost to Frankie Randall. And he ended his career like 108, 6 and 2 or something like that. But Meldrick Taylor really never recovered. Uh, although he win, you know, some more fights afterwards, he never recovered after that. So we talked. And Although this was the first time we had to arrest him, it wasn't the last time I ever interacted with him, unfortunately. And he told us, that, and there's a lot of things he told me. And my partner at the time, he didn't care. He had no, no, you know, not a care in the world about sports. For me, I was like a kid in a candy store because it was like an hour car ride for us. So we talked, you know, I picked his brain, everything. Uh, he was in bad shape. You know, he was... For, you know, the term punch drunk, for sure. He slurred. He, he, he had a tough time remembering things. But um, there's a lot of stuff that I will keep to myself because I just, you know, that was something personal for me. It was, you know, it was just one of those moments where I won't share a lot of what he said. Um, and now he's obviously, he's in no condition now to probably even remember the incident. Um, but I know what happened was Olympic gold medal told me that he said about the fight. Now, this is this isn't like new. You can look this up. He had so many people in his pocket, first of all. So that's where it basically lost a lot of his money. And as you'll see later in life, a lot of his arrests and stuff were money related. I think insurance fraud, things like that. I mean, this happens with a lot of, you know, famous people who make foolish decisions. I mean, this is, you know, every episode of Behind the Music, right? Kind of like the the MC Hammer story where you have millions upon millions of dollars, but because you have so many people leeching off you, um, you know, they wind up spending your money. And then when you're down on your luck, they they leave you hanging, essentially. It's kind of sad. He, um, so he told me, I, I believe they, they protest the fight, stuff like that. He was, you know, very, he was very hurt. Like, he was physically hurt afterwards. He said he was beat up bad. Uh, I mean, there are stories that he had kidney yeah. problems after that fight. I mean, you know. He didn't go into detail Chavez did what it was. Him, you know, Chavez did land some punches and give him a beat. It's not like it was a, a complete sham. I mean, he did take a physical beating. Well, the, it, it, the sham was stopping the fight with right, two seconds time, left. You, you, that's just yeah, stupid. Yeah, yeah. Knowing, yeah. as the referee, knowing. The red light's on, which means it's under 10 seconds. Yeah, you know, Knowing is. this is the biggest fight of probably the century at that time. Mm-hmm. Knowing 
you know, he deserves that win because he he beat Chavez all the way up until the last four rounds. They, you know, what, what a lot of people believe, and yeah, but, and I mean, that sets him up. No matter what you did until the bell rings, right? And unfortunately, he got done in by the bell. Yeah, but it was, and and there was another there was another issue with the fight too, where Chavez wasn't in his neutral corner. He came up behind Steele because if Steele was going to let him continue, he was going to try to jump in and hit him a couple more times. Like mm. what Steele should have done, and everyone has said this. Okay, are you okay? Are you okay? Before I call it, turn, look, see what Chavez is doing. Make sure he's still in his corner. One more time, done. Okay, people would have been okay with that. He was like, "What?" Do you, he's like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And he's looking at his corner for instructions. Like, what? What do I do? It wasn't that he didn't see. It wasn't like he was standing there, like, "Oh my God, where am I?" I? He's looking I for some direction. The problem is boxing has such a shadow over it. You know what I mean? That it's hard to really know um, what's going on. I mean, you know, there's always kind of accusations of corruption. Uh, and, I mean, it's it's the worst. But he. Um, he told me how that destroyed him, you know, mm-hmm. financially, emotionally. Uh, him winning would have went would have meant just millions and millions. He, he was like, I, he said, I wouldn't even know what to do with that kind of money. He also said too, he's like, in a way, he's like, I, I'm glad I didn't get all that money. He's like, because he was, you know, people were in his pocket all the time, and he said it sucked, and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't. Where are you at, Pizza Hut man? What's no, I don't doing? know what the people keep calling me. No one ever fucking calls me. Now they all call me. Um, but he was saying, you know, it was it was just so depressed. It was just an awful time, and it spiraled out. Mm-hmm. I saw him like I, I, you know, I asked him. We went offered to get him food, but nothing was open because of the snow. Um, mm-hmm. When we finally got him up to CFCF. All the guards like, oh, my God, champ. What's up, champ? You know, everyone came running out to, you know, greet them and hang out. Like, we had an amazing conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of stuff, like I said, I'll keep to myself. But it was, you know, you know it, one of those moments up. where it's just like, damn. Like, out of the top three greatest fighters in, in Philly, what a lot of people don't know how many great fighters come out of Philly. You you know of Joe Frazier, Bernard Hopkins. I still think Bernard Hopkins is better is the all-time favorite, or is the all-time great boxer in Philly. Frazier, Meldrick Taylor. Then you had um, Mighty Ivan Robinson. Ivan Mighty Robinson. Yep. Um, Tim Witherspoon, he was out of Philly. There were so many people out of Philly. Um, It was just a shame to see that. Then we we ran into him again. Um, There was a place called, and I probably said this before in previous episodes, Needle Park in Kensington, right there. Mm. It's a D in Kensington or F in Kensington. Yeah, uh, is it, yeah, yeah. or, or Indiana like in Kensington. I forget where it is. Um, I mean, it was a, there's, yeah, there's like a library. Yeah, there it's right there. Uh, he was in the middle of that park. We, we would go in there every now and then, do a stroll through, you know, lock up because that's where people would hide out. And he was in there. It was like three in the morning, and we were just like, you okay? What's going on? He was like, I'm waiting for a church to open up across the street. Mm. Again, all for like, you need anything? You want some food? You know, anything to drink? Um, gave him, I think he gave him a few, we gave him a few bucks. I forget who was there with me at the time. And he was like, I really appreciate it. Never, didn't ask him for like an autograph or anything. Just uh, wanted to, you know, give back to the guy because 
I, I, like, I love him as a boxer. Like, I was a boxing fan during the and 90s. You find him in, and you find him in McPherson Square. Yeah, McPherson know, Square. Yeah, that's it. And it's, it's just like, God, it's like, damn, man. Like, that, that fell. That guy well, do, was do, on the do, top do of the world. Though, I mean, you think about working in law enforcement, and I think – a lot of people think that you deal with just the average Joe on the street. And 90% of the time you do. Don't get me wrong. But every once in a while, you do run into these famous people, um, especially if you're in larger cities. I mean, I can remember when we were in the war, you know, um, people running into going to lock up different rappers. Um, you know, and I won't say names, but I mean, uh, you know, I know me and one of the other teams when it was on, on a house arrest job, actually. Um, and the guy was a semi-famous rapper. I wouldn't say he's huge, um, but somebody that, you know, that, you know, um, and I know, you know, you run into these folks from time to time. I mean, we used to have the, mm -hmm. the, um, what's it called? The, uh, access to the photos and you could see all the famous folks that were locked up in Philly. Um, and from time to time they'd miss a court date or violate probation or something would happen and you'd get sent out to run into them. But Arn Hopkins I mean, you know, had warrants before, before we got I mean, there. Um, Lord Hopkins was in prison for ages, right? I mean, well, yeah, I know, but he, he obviously has run-ins with the system. But his I mean, his were while he was in prison; they were just old, and it was before we got there. But they tell the story how they just everyone just took care of it. They didn't, you know, make yeah. him go through the process with the public and all that. Well, I mean, e even I think just working in a place like Philadelphia, you run into a lot of famous people. Um, I remember when they were filming one of the the Rocky films down in Kensington. Uh, me and, and George and uh, Troy were all coming down Kensington Ave, and um, the, it, it was the, I forget what the bar was called. Was it like the with the with the flaming dice on it or whatever? Yeah, it's at Somerset. It's the bar in Rocky, the uh, Somerset yeah. Somerset in Kensington. And for anyone that I forget, watches I forget those movies, it in the new film. yeah, wh whoever watches any of those movies, it's it's the Rocky one, um, the mm -hmm. last Rocky before it goes to Creed, um, the first mm -hmm. few Rockies. That bar's in there. And mm -hmm. it's um, literally that is probably the worst intersection in America. Yeah. And that's not exaggerating. Trump, basically, you go well, down there right now, you're you're not going to leave with everything you walk in there with. We were coming down Kensington Ave and it was all lit up. And I remember thinking like, all right, here we go, boys. Let's get ready and hop out on this. See what's going on. And as you get closer and closer, you can kind of see it's a lot of people. And this is probably... I don't know, three in the morning, you know what I mean? Middle of the night, three, four in the morning. And you see all these people gathered and we see lights. So eventually we parked the car and kind of get out and we're like, you know, let's go figure out what the heck's going on here. And as we start approaching, we see they must've hired some crackheads as security guards. Cause when we came up, they just rolled out. You know what I mean? They seen us in uniform and didn't want nothing to do <laughs> yeah. it. And we walked all the way up to, we were probably, I don't know, 10 feet from Sylvester Stallone. And he was standing there, and there's some other people around him. Um, and I was just kind of laying back in the cut watching it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to walk up in it, do all that kind of stuff. I'm not a, a star, you know, starstruck kind of dude. Right. Um, but we went up there, and, and George got a little closer. And I guess eventually they turned around and, you know, spoke to him for a couple minutes. But it was just crazy. You know, you're cruising down the Ave, and I expect this to be the, you know, summer block party for the crackheads or something. And the next thing you know, you know, Sly Stallone is 10 feet away. Um, I thought it was kind of an interesting interaction. You know, you come home and tell people, guess what happened to me last night, right? We just rolled up on Stallone filming the Rocky film. Um, and I, you know, we had no idea that that was going on. Never thought that that would have happened, but it was still a pretty cool incident. Um, 
I remember okay. we we were going to to a house down near South Street, um, mm-hmm. in Philly, which is a you know not a place well, where you would a great think, place to see people. Yeah, you know, it's not a place you would think of going to serve a warrant in no, the city. No. So we're waiting to go in this house, and we're there's a car parked. It's a Ferrari. Was a Ferrari or Lamborghini? I forget which one, but it's Chase Utley. And we're all surrounding his car, waiting to hit this house. And he's just looking at us like, what shit? What do I do? Just looking up. And we were looking down. Oh, shit. It's Chase Utley. And, uh, well, do you remember, remember we used to go down to Lorenzo's? Because um, we started at 11 at night, right? Yeah. So you used to have problems with getting food once it got later at night. So a lot of times when we'd start the shift, we'd kind of go get something to eat you know, right away. Yeah, the Lorenzo you know, was a third or sale. Yeah, I think it's complete trash Awful pizza. food. Awful. It's the worst but, pizza ever, by the way. But, 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 no, man, I will say this, though. Lorenzo and them, they are pro-police. They'd hook you up. You know what I mean? I think you got a slice for a buck or something. Shit. And they wouldn't make you wait so. in the line with drunk people. So if you rolled in, you could get a slice pretty quick. So I'll give them respect for that. I don't think it's the best pizza in the world. It's, you know, it's not that great. Just cook it a little but longer. You, That's it. Not, exactly, not rocket science. Exactly. My God. But you get a slice and you'd hang up out, you know, to hang out outside for a little bit, kind of um, have a soda, have a slice, kind of get yourself prepped to, to hit the streets. Um, and you'd be surprised who would come walking down because all those clubs and stuff were right there. Mm-hmm. So I can remember, you know, years ago in the summer, seeing a bunch of the Florida Marlins rolling down the street back when Dontrell Willis was the stuff. If you remember. Yeah, him, I remember picture. him. Yep. And I remember seeing Dontrell Willis straight rolling down, rolling down the street, you know, um, they're probably going out to the bars and clubs and all that, but you'd see them. And I remember sitting there one time, um, I, I don't know, you follow wrestling a little bit, I guess mm-hmm. we were sitting out front there. I don't even remember who was with me and this dude rolled up to us, um, and starts talking to us. And you can tell from the build of this guy that he's not your average Joe. You know what I'm saying? This guy's a pretty big man. And, uh, he rolls up and I'm eyeing him up and I'm thinking like, who is this? Is this one of the Philadelphia Eagles? Like, you know, I usually know most of the Eagles and I'm trying to figure out who is this cat? He was huge, huge. He was so big. I thought he can't be a pro football player because he's too big, like too muscular, too bulky. And he's sitting there rapping to us, just talking about, Hey guys, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. Coolest cat I've ever met in my life. And we're just chatting, going back and forth. And some, you know, younger kids start coming up and getting like autographs and stuff. And I'm going nuts. Like, who the hell is this dude, right? We've been talking to him for five minutes or something. I can't figure out who it is. Um, and then finally, you know, we break off the conversation. And then someone told us it was Bobby Lashley, the wrestler. Oh, okay. I didn't recognize him. And, you know, I wasn't really following wrestling at that point in my life. He's a my, monster my still. Still to this dude, day, he's a monster. It looks like he's the same age as me. I feel like crap now. He's literally born two days after me. And I look like a mountain of trash. And he looks wonderful. This is a terrible situation. I've just realized. But he was the coolest dude I ever met. Really nice, really personable. Um, even when the fans were bugging him, you know, really cool dude. And what? I just thought to myself, like, it's so peculiar. Like, I never thought I would run into this dude. Well, but you do. You run into these people when you're just working, man. One of the perks of our job was whenever movies would come in or TV shows and want extras or help, they would, um, you know, our our captain had good contacts with people, and before we got there, uh, there were, you know I don't even remember the damn show, but a lot of our guys were in the show, and mm-hmm. it still runs to this day. Um, yeah, I can't remember it, but they have great scenes in it. They they are um, was it the commission or something? 
what's the guy's name? He's from Philly. He was a cab driver. He was like a retired cop. It's not at the like time. The it's not that, is it? No, it was only one. It was only one season. But mm-hmm. you know, I know some of the guys still get checks from um, from the show to this day. I, I forget mm-hmm. what it was called, but we. Got I remember it. when that happened. That was the LT, right? The LT was in there. I remember him talking about it. Yeah, I think it was even before. I, it was probably when you were there, but before I got there. I think they spotted them in the uniforms because, to be fair, our uniforms were pretty badass. Yeah, um, we did you know, have badass all uniforms. All blacked out uniforms. And I think they said, like, they saw them. Or, what was it called? Hack? Hack. That's it. Yep. Hack. Yeah. They were and in they it. Said, all the, uh, all you the know, SWAT the guys were our, was our warrant unit guys. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, sadly, I didn't get in any of those kind of things, man. Well, so that's not great. We got in one, <laughs> and it was, well, not a movie, but at the time, I forget what year it was, but Cole Hamels, when he was a Phillies pitcher, used to have a um, charity in August. It was called... Oh, security gig. Yeah, it was Diamonds and Denim. So we got the security, well, uh, uh, somebody in the, in the police Our department... Club got the gig, but they weren't allowed to have it because they're not allowed to moonlight. So he called me and my lieutenant gave it to us. So we filled the whole security team from what we, you know, weren't you guys. Mm-hmm. And we hung out with um, all the Phillies, Eagles, you know, Sixers players, Flyers, Scott, Scott Hartnell. Um, John Legend was the guest mm-hmm. and he was the guest, you know, singer before I didn't really know who he was at the time. It's really before he blew up to what he is today. And we had to have uh, a guy back there with him. And mm-hmm. I won't embarrass the, the athlete, but somebody's wife, a former Philadelphia Eagle, his wife goes back and all the guests were that were there. Um, Certain guests got a pass to go see him. I mean, it mm-hmm. was it was pretty high tight high, security. It was tight security on their request on Cole Hamill's you know his request. Like certain people were only allowed in certain areas. Didn't yeah, matter how much you were bidding. The event, man, Come on. it was crazy. So you had to get you had to you had to be like the top VIP to get a picture with John Legend. Like the mm-hmm. some of the Phillies players and stuff like that got it. So a, a former Eagle, his wife goes back there, gets the picture. Now she's friggin' hanging all over him, all over him. He gets mad. He's like, can you get rid of her, please? Says it to, it was, uh, freak, I think, Todd at the time. Todd calls me. He's like, yo, there's this crazy lady here. I go over. She's like, don't you know who I am? I'm such and such's wife. I was like, I know you are. He's over here waiting for you. Come on. She's like, okay. And I'm pulling her away. She's waving back like, I love you. You're the greatest. And he's just like, okay, whatever. Fuck away from me. Um, we take, I take her out, pass her off to the next one. I was like, Dude, flag her. She's gone. They toss her out. <laughs> uh, there's that douchebag Mike Missanelli on yeah. 97, whatever. I don't even know where the hell he's at. I think he's on the radio still. He comes to the place and tries to get in. He's a local mm. radio, sports radio guy around here. He's just a douchebag. He mm. tries to get in. We got a few of those. Yeah. And he won't, he don't have a pass. He, he's not even allowed in the whole party. He's like, I'm yeah. media. I was like, I don't care. You're, you're not you're, coming you're in. You're drinking in the yard, buddy. Get lost. 
I was like, you're not coming in here. He's like, I'm media. I'm here for, you know, I was like, stop, no media, out, bye. We Mm -hmm. tossed him, although he weaseled his way in later. I don't know how, but at that point, I was like, I ain't going to make a scene. Uh, I'm I'm just going to blame Ruben Amaro. Everything's his fault. He was there. There was, it's crazy. One of the highlights of the night was there was a girl, two girls, that were just painted. They just painted their bodies. Mm, Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. And there they are, just, you know, and all the players are looking sideways like, you know, I won't name what mm-hmm. baseball players are there with their wives and they yeah. look at their wife to make sure she ain't looking and then they're checking them out. <laughs> and these girls are trying to get on every every shoulder of every guy. There was one sure, spot that our old partner, Madhu, was in charge of. It was like the VIP only. It was, mm-hmm. I think it was only like 15 people out in there total. Like Hamels, his wife. And just a couple other athletes that had, like, this gold bracelet or something. So, Madhu got to hang out with them all night because they would go in there and just hide. A lot of them just hid. Yeah, I can imagine. There was a girl. She was, like, uh, she was trying to get in. And she was a really good-looking woman. She's, like, I'm a playboy, playmate of whatever month, whatever, you know, year. I was, like, sorry, don't read it. Don't know who you are. And she was so fucking mad, dude. So mad. And I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just, I, I, sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a teenager no more. I don't read Playboy. And tell her, we have the internet now. We don't need your magazine, lady. Get out of here. She hung around all night trying to sneak in. I caught her a couple times. Like, boot. We just kept booting her, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I got to be careful because I I don't want to spill the beans on. What, what certain people did that night because mm. we saw, I mean, it was like, damn, dude, you guys don't even hide this shit. Mm. But John Legend came down at the end of the night, so we had to walk him out with him and his bodyguard. So we walk him down. Everyone's trying to flag him and all, flank him and stuff. His security guard goes to get the, his bodyguard goes to get the, his vehicle. This girl pops up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. And she's like, oh, my God. She just barrels through us. Can I get a selfie? And he's like, okay. And she does the selfie. Um, I'll just leave the story there. Okay. So it, it's, it gets a whatever. I'll just leave it at that. Um, he tips, I think, like 40 bucks. Here, guys. Thanks. $40? Yep. Rolls. 40 bucks. $40? $40. He's the all-time cheapskate, bro. I tip more than that. Come on, man. 40 bucks. I would have rather yeah, just yeah. not been tipped. No, because now you got 10 you dudes know? fighting over 40 bucks, dude. Come on. Well, we gave, I think we let Todd keep it because he was basically his security all yeah. night long. We're like, Todd, you just take it. You were with the dude all night. Um, yeah. Same did thing. Work, we, did you work the Did you work the uh, the Indian American Idol? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. I, I, we'll we'll talk about that next. But we got <laughs> the. Um, so what happened? Now athletes start wanting are starting to leave. Now they're we're walking them all down, you know. And now mm-hmm. it's like one on one. Like I'm walking Cliff Lee and his wife and somebody else. Got Matt Stairs. That's all I want to. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. Jimmy Rollins tipped eighty that. bucks. Oh my god. I mean, I, that well, I thought that was cool. I mean, eighty dollars. I mean, well, he tipped more than John Legend. Party, I guess, but come on, man. You know, I didn't. I mean, we're security. You know, but I, I will say yeah. we were supposed to get um, 
uh, duffel bags full of like sports memorabilia for you know for, for the night, and we never got any, we got we got stiffed, but we made a buck fifty, thing for four yeah. hours, hung around with athletes all night, and the reason they hired us because every year before like some of the items were going missing, and they had some great sports memorabilia stuff up there, and not one thing went missing from us, and that, and you know we um, you know. We basically locked that shit down, but I think he, I think that's when he got traded the next year, and that so was listen, it. On to the Bollywood. Oh Island my God! Thing. Go ahead, you tell this I, one. I, I, so I, I still don't Madu, understand what was Madu, the big deal. I think Madu set it up. He did, um, and we still was, he still owes us money. Back, by the way, this, <laughs> this is probably back when American Idol like first started coming around, I guess, and they were doing it in all these different countries, and I guess India had a version of. You know, American, I guess, Indian Idol or whatever it was right. called. And I guess there's a, a, a sizable Indian community in Philadelphia. Um, so the show was coming to Philly and they were going to do a presentation with all these kind of, you know, kind of like Bollywood type singers and stuff. Well, like and this. it was the, their Simon Cowell was the guy there. Yeah. The guy was there. I don't know who he was, obviously, but it was their version of Simon Cow. Right. And I think, I think Medu's the one who set up the, he the job. I think he got it. He got it from somebody. Connection. Yeah. And again, it wasn't bad. I mean, you made a couple bucks for essentially was, nothing crazy. It was funny. I, rem I, I remember the dude wanted to roll in, yes. and he wanted to have like an entourage of bodyguards. Uh huh. Remember? And we did. We we, we surrounded him. We surrounded him. Some big ass dudes walking this he guy wanted. down the thing. But there was like no security threats or nothing really there, right? I mean, it wasn't. Well, like it was. It was. Event. It was for a show. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted us with our guns out, if I remember. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we're no, like, no we're, we're, we're not, not doing taking that, our bro. guns out, you <laughs> fucking weirdo. And he got all flustered. Yeah. He didn't know we, the guy, because this guy was this worshiping. Sierra Leone, man. We're not just marching around with AKs. This yeah, he's worshiping this, you know, Simon Kell type guy. And we're yeah. like, yeah, we're not taking our fucking guns out, man. And I remember yeah. we had to dress in black. We had to have our guns yeah. on us. Mind you, yeah. this is all a side gig. So we're like, oh, Jesus Christ, our guns out? We shouldn't be yeah. doing that. But and, now, listen. And then we ran him to cool, his. It was um, a pretty cool ass event, though, my friend. Oh, it, it was. was I will say that. It was entertaining. They. Oh, definitely. I, I thought definitely. I was, I was going to, I was thinking, like, oh, my God, man, this is going to blow. But. Yeah. I was wrong, Once man. That, I was very entertaining. It was, it was pretty crazy. They were getting into it, dude. It was it was quite entertaining. It was at Cardinal Doherty. It was at Cardinal Doherty. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. they had they yeah, and we only saw the guy for what we we met him outside at his bus because they had one of those big giant buses. Each thing, kind of. That was it, kind of. Right? Walked I mean, it wasn't much to his dressing room. We all stood outside the door until he came out, went up on stage, and. That was it. And, that was and we didn't get fully paid. <laughs> I don't even remember. I do. Well, it was supposed to be like a buck fifty. We got a hundred each, and we're like, "Oh man!" And, and then we had to go to work afterwards. That's what went wrong, bro. Yeah, that was it. Was a, a fun gig, though, man. It was interesting. I will say it was one of the most entertaining things I've ever been to. But to take this back to boxing, yeah. the coolest event I've ever been to in my life. Was December sixteenth, nineteen ninety five. Mike Tyson had gotten out of prison, and I think he he uh, who did he fight first? Hurricane? It, Pete no, McNeely he fought. Yeah, Pete McNeely or that moron up in Boston oh, fought that dude. Yeah, he fought. If you even call and that a fight, whatever that was. He fought in Philadelphia versus a dude named Buster Mathis Jr. Yep, I remember that. And I was 
still have the ticket stub and I still have the poster I bought. And I remember going to me and my buddy Steve from college. I went to Kutztown at the time. Me and my buddy Steve rolled down. I think the tickets were 99 bucks back in 1995. Yeah, because people were so pissed off at that the, the previous fight that they actually yeah. put it on TV, too. It was on Fox. Yeah. And I remember going to that fight, and that has to be the coolest event that I've ever gone to in my life. I think it was like the first heavyweight fight of that caliber in Philadelphia in 20 years or something. Um, and, you know, listen, when you rolled in, and this is in what, the- uh, 90s. Was it the spectrum. spectrum. It was a Spectrum at the time. Which I don't even think there is a bad seat in the Spectrum. I no, mean, well, well I mean, it's gone. But, seats, but it's so small that it's a fairly intimate place. Yeah, you were on you top of I mean? each other there. It was great. I can remember going in and seeing everybody like you're walking around. I saw probably every Sixer, every Eagle, Phillies, every rapper. There was tons of celebrities imagine. there because they were making a big deal about it on the news. I remember that tons of celebrities. Francois both of the boxer was there, but like you're walking down to get like a beer and some, you know, a hot dog or something. And it's like, you know, Willie Mays walks by and you're just like, what the hell? And it was the coolest event I've ever been to. Had I known, the other thing I thought that was so cool was kind of the attire, the way people were dressed. People were dressed in crazy outfits. Mm -hmm. Well, because that was always a big thing back in the day, you know, big events, a, to, you know, a, they would all dress up. Known, I would have got myself a creamsicle colored suit and, you know, <laughs> some kind of cool outfit. And rolled up to this event. Instead, I probably had jeans and a dirty a Pearl Jam T-shirt or something stupid, right? Dude. And like, you know, we rolled in and you just saw so many people, and it was really just, you know, I don't know. It, it was amazing to just see all these people coming the, to see Tyson fight. The greatest, the the greatest seat in all of sports is mm -hmm. is um, courtside at a at a basketball game, mm -hmm. and we had it. My sister-in-law at the time was friends with, I'm, I think she still is, Maurice Cheeks. And he got us tickets to, it was a Sixers-Houston Rockets game, because she also was friends with the assistant coach on the Rockets. Mm -hmm. So we had four seats. We actually had Ed Snyder's two seats, and the governor got us two seats. And we were center, you know, center of court, and we were next to, was that Mobley? Was that basketball player? Casino movie. Yep. His mom sat right next to my mother-in-law. I, I saw him play at high school at North Catholic, man. And he played for Dockerty, yeah. Yeah, and all the players came over, you know, hey, how are you? Nice, like kissing a ring. It was a little weird. Like, okay. You're, it's your mom. Like I wouldn't let my mom I, mom, you go up in the box. You ain't sitting down here. What are you doing? Um Yeah, well, that's the enemy too. I mean, because he's playing for the other team. You know, them crowds will get heated. But it, it was, I, mean, I guess that's probably all. Well, no, there. they didn't care back there. then, man. That, that, it was, yeah. I forget when that was, but they didn't give a shit. No one cared. It, but it was mm. cool. It was the greatest seat I've ever had. And I've been ice, I've been in the first row at a hockey game. Yeah. Um, I've been, I think, four did, rows did from wrestling. A, did, you get, did you get stuck by in a club box to the Colorado Avalanche game because they were the only tickets when uh, you showed up? You remember that? that and you Patrick Watt scored <laughs> when time ran out. Yeah, Patrick Watt almost scored, dude. And then those dudes try to start. Got mad at us. us. Yeah, yeah, we the were. Dudes at, like, oh, what do you like the other team? I was like, no, jackass. A goalie scores like every ten years. It'd be cool to see. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. It was uh, Flyers, Colorado. We went down, yeah. try to get tickets, sit anywhere, and they were like, oh, we, we got box, a club, box. Uh, club box. So we paid like yeah. a buck fifty each. 
Yeah, I think it was six hundred bucks for the box, and there was like four yeah. of us or something. And like that, man. the Flyers were getting smoked. No time. Patrick Wall shoots it down, and it and it goes in, and people yeah. start cheering like, "Holy shit!" But the time yeah. just expired, like a second before, two seconds before it went in, so it didn't count. So they didn't even make a big deal about it. And yeah, still, yeah those guys were watched, pissed, right? man. Only score the legend Patrick Wall. They were like, we are in the fucking wrong, you're in the wrong city. We're like, shut the fuck up. We're Flyer fans, yeah. but, you know, who, who's going to get to see something mouth. like that, Jeez. man? Yeah. Like, calm, <laughs> we were like, calm the hell down, dude, you yeah. know, with that stupid shit. Yeah, you didn't say calm down. You wanted to fight him. I know how it was back well, then. Well, probably. <laughs> That's how it was back then, man. You know, yeah. we would have got our asses beat. But, hey, at least we tried, right? That's right. The, uh, <laughs> that, you know what? So that brings me to, I, we were out Friday. Mm. with um, some of the guys. And we got a few more stories, you know, that I, I completely forgot about. But since we're talking about, you know, fighting, we'll talk about a couple brawls. One, mm. I don't know if you remember this. So I think we may have briefly mentioned this before when they say, you know, use a taser on somebody instead of shooting them mm. and uh, blah, 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 you know, all that nonsense. Um Again, people that really don't know, that have never really interacted with somebody that's high on, you know, PCP or on crack, that stuff isn't going to work. So we had a, uh, a job. It was me, you, Madhu, mm. and I believe John D. or Bill. I think John D. said he was there. Mm. And now out of all the people I just mentioned, I'm 5'10", 220. I was probably 210 then. And I'm the smallest by far. Yeah. Yeah, Out of all of you guys, I'm the smallest one. We see a guy on the Somerset Bridge. He's won it. We know who he is. This guy's like 5'8", a buck 50, Spanish kid. Mm -hmm. We jump out, confirm the warrant. He was cool. He wasn't, you know, no issues. We go to put the cuffs on him, and he brings his arms in. And we can't get his arms. None of us can. We're pleading with him. You know, now he's starting to kick around. He's trying, now he's trying to get away. It turns into a full-fledged brawl, basically, to the point where we were all tired at the end yeah. of it. It was like a five-minute struggle. We couldn't get him. And we all got done. He's panicking. He's going he, – he's, you know, if, if you ever – you never want to see, like – Anyone on crack or, or PCP? PCP is the worst. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, again, their tolerance for pain is, it's, it doesn't is exist. legendary. Their strength is through the roof. And he's um, it's hard, flipping man. out. Now, we had let him go. We all released him, and he just walks away. And we all looked at each other like, fuck it. He's, he won this one, man. And we were all dead tired. I still remember. We were like, what the fuck just well, happened? Like, this guy just beat, he didn't beat us up. Like, we were trying to fucking do everything we can to get him, and we couldn't. We just, we I've lost. Talk, I've talked to people about this before. Like, even when someone's being passively resistant, if somebody goes into fetal position and balls up and just holds their body tight, how hard it really is to get their arms out, you know, or behind their back if you want to cuff them or something like that, without kind of using, you know, using, I don't want to say excessive force, but, you know, without kind of, Going at it a little it, harder. It, it, I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, you really got to do hard. dead legs. You got to hit them in the nerve. Uh, you know, yeah, you got to do something. 
and they don't work. None of it works. The other thing I think people don't understand is, and this is something I deal with when I talk about, you know, backup. Um, you know, I'll talk about the difference between policing in a city and policing in rural areas. And, you know, people are always like, it's probably more dangerous in a city. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. The likelihood of you being involved in a shooting or something like that's probably higher in a city. Mm -hmm. But the one thing people sleep on is, you know, I live in Northwest Ohio now. I have students that are sheriffs or, you know, people work for state police. Um, some of these guys backup might be miles and miles away. The one upside to working in a place like Philly is, you know, when you hit that, you know, you hit the assist button, there's going to be people chomping at the bit to get to you. Yep, and coming in hot, man. Relative, and they're going to be there relatively quickly. Where if you're out here, man, chasing somebody through some cornfield, shit, backup might be a half hour away. Try fighting somebody for 30 seconds, for a minute, for five minutes. I think people don't realize how difficult it is to actually be engaged in a brawl or a fight, you know, a high intensity fight for more than minutes, two minutes, a minutes, minute, 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, you look at boxing, right? I mean, this is why rounds are what they are. You're, you're exhausted. If you're really, ex you know, ex exerting all that energy, really fighting somebody. And that was toast, man. And that was the issue we had on the bridge with that guy. We, it, it was like two, three minutes, but we were spent. Here's the problem. We, we were here's done. The problem. What are you going to do next? Are you going to shoot him? No, no, you're not. What are you going to do? The only weapons we had are guns, fist, and OC spray. And OC say OC and it, spray it's useless. Is the most worthless thing in the world. To I've somebody that. like that, yes, it is. Listen, man, not even like that. When you're engaged with them, you're going to spray that. I remember and everybody's going to get hit partners. with it. Yeah. Fight. We were up in a room in Frankfurt in a small bedroom, and this fool come in and tried to spray the guy we're fighting and sprayed all of us. Mm -hmm. So now I got a dude who's, I think he was a bit mentally disturbed, brawling, brawling, fighting. We're already having a hard time holding our own. And now you can't see a damn thing because he's on, you know, unleashed a, a, a mist of pepper spray into the room, which now makes it even worse. And imagine this is this kid's room. He knows what's what. I've never yep. been in here. This is a, you know, not for me. Um, and it's just, it's not a very good weapon, to be honest. Um, and, and honestly, it does affect people differently. I have really bad sinus problems. So if I breathe that stuff in, I'm toast. Other people can kind of tolerate it a lot better. I, 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 I may, have, may have told this story. I'm trying to remember what stories I told so I don't repeat them. Um, but we had an incident where we were going after a child molester. Found, got to the house. He ran into the basement. And our one partner was chasing him, didn't want to run down a dark basement right behind him, smart. So what he did instead was sprayed the mace at him, or the OC spray. Uh, oleo. All in the doorway of the basement. So we yeah, literally... We, have to go. <laughs> we couldn't walk through it. We couldn't get through it. We were trying to like cover it up, and it was just penetrating, because we had some powerful stuff. And we were literally sitting at the top. We're like, yo, just, just come on up, dude. If we got to come down there, and we're like negotiating with him to just turn yeah. himself in. Well, the, the other problem you run into with the OC spray is now. And he did. He, he turned himself up, in. Well, but here's the problem. If he wants to come up and play the role of, oh, I can't breathe and all this, you might have a hospital case out of this nonsense. You yeah, and that's I mean? the worst. Somebody though. starts playing that game, and it's just like, oh, here we go. And and, and hospitals are going to milk that. They know the city's paying that, that bill. Shit. They're going to run them through all the tests. But I tell you know I was thinking we were talking about a whole bunch of stories. So this gives it, it kind of ties in with COVID here. 
and all the restrictions Lord, that are going ties in with COVID, sir. You know, it, this does because we were talking about like all the shit we were exposed to on the job. Yeah. MRSA, SARS, yeah. um, and all this kind of crap. It's got hepatitis, AIDS. Yeah, I mean, I mean shit that HIV, they probably still AIDS, haven't even yeah. named yet. Yeah. And I remember our one partner, Brian, used to have warts all over his hand. And mm -hmm. they all fell off one day. He was like, dude. I'm sure he's thrilled you told everybody this. He, he don't give it. He, <laughs> uh, he, he says it all the time. He's like, dude, he's like, how bad, you know, were like the gloves we wore or our clothes? Because we would leave our uniforms oh, in the office. Like that, you know, he was going in his pocket so much the shit burned off. Um, Is it worse than my vest? Yeah, everybody's was. I mean, your vest was awful, but. You know, everybody's <laughs> shit was awful. Um, we went down Kensington at Somerset. And what we would do when we would pat down a guy or, you know, a female, we couldn't physically pat down unless there was a female officer there. So a lot of it, we had to rely on their word. And yeah, you know, a lot of times that pockets. bit us in the ass when we got up to prison and they're pulling stuff out of every, you know, Pipes. every, uh, <laughs> You know, or place that, you know, the sun don't shine and but we look at fair, each other like, what, what can we do? We're not allowed. Right. We're not allowed. And, you know, and everyone knew it. It wasn't a big deal. They never really made a big deal about it. But with a, with a guy, especially somebody, you know, a drug user, we used to do like a pat down with our, you know, baton first. Ask them, hey, anything you got, we don't care. Throw it out. You know, yeah, it's kind of, you got a free moment here to get rid of anything except for guns, which they wouldn't have had anyway because they would have sold it. Yeah. And one guy was like, everything's gone. So then you do a light tap with your hands. Now, we had gloves, and they were thick, too. Some of them were really thick. And I remember I got fucking stuck with a needle. That was always my biggest fear. And I mean, honestly, a lot of times I used to make people empty their own pockets. Yeah, just well, and we, we did that a lot. Hand. And he did. And yeah. one just stuck in there. And he was like, I didn't know. And I was like, what do yeah, you got? You didn't know what's in your own pants, bro. Like, and he, dude, you know how they are. They're fucking, yeah. he's half yeah. shot in the ass. I was like, what do you have? I just need to know. Uh, I'm not going to charge or anything. Just tell me what you have. And he's like, I got it. I was like, you're fucking kidding me, dude. I was like, oh, man. So we go to the hospital and they're like, all right, listen, it's going to be almost impossible for you to catch AIDS from him. You know, even though you yeah. got poked, um, but you know, we'll do, we'll do all the tests, dude. They did the cocktail. Oh, mm -hmm. listen, if you ever get COVID, that is better than the cocktail. That shit nearly mm -hmm. kills your ass. Cause they, they try to kill everything out of your system. Um, yeah. dude, I had to go fucking for blood work every week for like six months. Mm -hmm. dude, I was so fucking pissed off at that. And I was yeah. safe too. Like it, it, it nicked my thumb. Like I was just tapping, you know, just tapping around and it was just sticking out of his pants and you can't see it. And boom. Well, I mean, what, what are the problems you run into? And this is something at least I have found with gloves. You have one of two options. You can wear some things that are like damn catcher's mitts yeah. out in the street if you want, but they're not tactile. And, and you're you not going to feel anything. anything yeah, you're not going to feel anything. Or you can wear, I used to wear like, you know, ones that were more like wide receiver gloves. But mm -hmm. the problem is you run the risk of a needle or something cutting through and getting jabbed. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I, I actually tell that story about the, the accidental puncture there um, in class. And, I, you know, when you were talking about stuff you didn't plan for or stuff they never warned you about um, getting stuck. And now 
Maybe you can't have relations with your husband or wife because you don't know what the hell you've just contracted. Um, you don't have to go and have re- regular medical checks mm-hmm. every week or every couple weeks because, again, you don't know. Yeah, it, it was the worst, what man. You contracted. I mean, you know, we used to pick up people that would have when you're dealing with the heroin users, you know, again, I don't know how familiar people are um, on TV. You see people shooting up in their arms. But the reality is, if you're a consistent heroin user, eventually the, the veins in your arms collapse. So they have to get more creative and they'll be shooting up between their fingers and their toes. They'll be shooting up in their neck, mm-hmm. shooting up their damn their eyeballs, every crazy yeah. thing you can imagine. These people are doing it. And sometimes you'd pick them up and they'd have these big open sores, these abscesses for where they've been shooting up in different parts of the body and they got infected because you're living, you know, down in some shooting gallery or, you know, the abandoniums down on Kensington Ave. Um, and they have open festering sores. Wow. And, you know, you got to deal with that. And I, I will say this. I couldn't smell when I was in the warrant unit. I couldn't smell for about 20 years of my life. Um, I had surgery probably two years ago and I could smell for the first time since I was 20 or something. Um, and I'm glad that I couldn't smell in the warrant unit because I, I remember seeing guys like gagging and retching from the smell of these wounds. And then I'd have to deal with it cause I couldn't smell it. So I didn't really care. Um, but you know, this is stuff you, you know, when you go through a training Academy, you didn't think about this. You, didn't, you, know, yeah, you it, weren't really prepared for this one, man. Yeah. It, it, it was just one of those like, Oh shit moments where, what are you going to yeah. do? But right, I'm going to end it on a, a, a funny note since we're getting around the holidays. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people might, you know, snowflakes might think this is a dick move, but um, I thought it was pretty funny. But before, I just got a, a hat. I'm, I'm doing like the Tim Pool thing right now with my hat on. Anyone on or, Twitter or, or on Instagram, go follow. It's at NY or nothing. N-Y-O-R-N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Um, mm-hmm. She's awesome. She's an awesome follow. Italian Italian girl up in uh, New York. She's great. Um, mm-hmm. She sent me a hat, so I'm wearing it for, for today. A word? What's the hat say? And what I nothing? just said. At, it, it's her thing. At N-Y or nothing. Only one hat. I see. So all yeah, the well, people, we're going to boycott this event. Anyway, so on, <laughs> on our final note, on our final story of the day, um, where drive, I we would have a van that we would load prisoners up in, and we would take them around with us to certain jobs. We keep them in a safe location while we were hitting the house, um, but it was just for us so we can, you know, save time, make one big trip up an to officer, the prison. And an officer would stay with them, so they were right. on There was someone with them, and I still remember we're on our way to the prison. It was around Christmas, so we started playing a Christmas song, uh, you know, Christmas music on the radio, and we had the whole van of like, I think it was two women and like nine men singing Christmas carols the whole way up to the jail. Everybody, it was, I I have video of it somewhere. I'm going to find it one day. When I do, I'll show it. But it was the funniest, funniest car ride up to the jail ever. And we actually stopped at McDonald's before we went in and got the ball cheeseburgers for uh, being good sports about it. But all right, well, listen, that was it for uh, today. Uh, We will be back on Friday for... Mm -hmm. You know, our regular episode, I had to, like I said, I had to go out with the guys and, you know, remember some old war stories. And boy, do I have a whole lot to tell. So uh, until next time, Sergeant Mark, the professor, see you later.